Well, greetings, everyone. Um, hope everyone's doing well. Um, this morning, we're going to be in chapter 18 in Judges. And since chapter 18 picks up where chapter 17 left off, I just want to take a moment to go over a few things from last week. When we last read about Micah, it appeared he had accomplished everything he ever wanted to create his own private home church. He had acquired value, a valuable silver idol and built a shrine to, build, to house it. He had a special garment made to be used primarily for worship purposes. He also added some additional household idols to adorn his new shrine. And as an added bonus, he had hired an actual Levitical priest to oversee it. In his mind and in his heart, he felt so religiously good that he couldn't help but to tell himself, Now I know that the Lord will be good to me because a Levite priest has become my priest. Little did he know that his wicked house of idols would be taken from him just as quickly as he had established it and there was nothing he can do about it. In Micah's attempt to place God in his own religious box, the possibility of losing it never occurred to him until it was too late, until it was actually taken from him. Last week, in chapter 17, we saw how a person's conduct, mind, and heart is negatively affected when God is forgotten about and when they start to do what is right in their own eyes. Today, as we continue our story that we began last week, we're going to see how Israel's absence of a king and the rejection of God had influenced an entire tribe to venture out on their own, to act independently, and forcibly take what didn't belong to them. We're also going to see how all the characters of our stories lost something because of their faithless ambitions. So again, we're going to be in Judges chapter 18. Judges chapter 18. Beginning in verse 1. In those days there was no king in Israel, and the Danite tribe was looking for territory to occupy. Up to that time, no territory had been captured by them among the tribes of Israel. So the Danites sent out five brave men from all their clans, from Zorah and Eshtaol, to scout out the land and explore it. They told them, go and explore the land. They came to the hill country of Ephraim, as far as the home of Micah, and spent the night there. While they were there, while they were near Micah's home, they recognized the accent of a young Levite, of the young Levite. So they went over to him and asked, who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What's keeping you here? He told them, This is what Micah has done for me. He has hired me, and I became his priest. Then they said to him, Please inquire of God for us to determine if we will have a successful journey. The priest told them, Go in peace. The Lord is watching over the journey you are going on. The five men left and came to Laish. They saw that the people who were there were living securely in the same way as the Sidonians, quiet and unsuspecting. There was nothing lacking in the land and no oppressive ruler. They were far from the Sidonians, 
having no alliance with anyone. Now I want to stop there for a bit and just dig a little bit deeper into these first 13 verses. According to Joshua chapter 19 verses 40 through 48, the Danites' land inheritance was the region to the west of Judah, but they were unable to take full possession of it. Back in Judges chapter back in Judges chapter 1 verse 34, the author tells us that the Danites had been ineffective in taking back their land because the Amorites were able to confine them to the hill country, thus robbing them from their inheritance. Also, according to Joshua 19.47 and here in Judges 18, it appears that the Danites had given up hope controlling their allotment and ambitiously, ambitiously traveled to the far north to territory that lay beyond the tribal lands of other Israelite tribes. And it's in this region that the Danite Samson is depicted in a constant struggle against the Philistines. So perhaps mindful of an earlier generation, rather than moving the entire tribe in search of a new homeland, the Danites appoint five men to find a suitable place. These five warriors from Dan head north into the tribal territory of Ephraim, and when they arrive at Micah's home, they decide to rest there for the night. During their short stay, they recognize the accent of Micah's young priest. Now this phrase suggests that the Levite's distinct accent was likely associated with members of the tribe of Judah, among whom the Levite had served in Bethlehem, and with whom the southern tribes would have had some familiarity with. So they begin to bombard the priest with a series of questions to find out how he ended up in the territory of Ephraim. The young Levite then explains to them how he had been hired and had attained the status of priest. Also, seeing a fully functioning shrine before them, the warriors take the opportunity to ask the priest to make an inquiry to God whether their mission will be successful. Now, even though the priest gives them a favorable answer in a really short amount of time, really no details are given as to how the will of God was actually discerned. Thus, it's uncertain whether the priest was truly sincere in telling them they'd have a successful mission. So now having been blessed by the Levite at Micah's shrine, the, the five warriors proceed to the town of Laish, which lay on the far northern boundary of Israelite territory. There they find a city nearby that, was occupied, that wasn't occupied by Israelites, but a colony of the Sidonians. Their reconnaissance reveals at least two features about the inhabitants of the city, the city in Laish. And these two features that attracted them was, was that their existence was both secluded and secure. These two features of Laish make it an ideal place for the Danites for a couple of reasons. The tribe was hoping to put significant dis distance between themselves and their enemies. And two, they could expect easy victory over an unallied and secluded people. Having assessed the situation... The, spy, the five spies returned south to report to their Danite clans and convince them of the opportunity they had before them.
Now, besides informing them of the unsuspecting people and the spacious land, they also claimed that God had put the town in this and the surrounding lands in their hands. Now, this was actually an unverified claim that they broadly speculated had come from Micah's priest. The fact of the matter is that this outcome was not the Lord's intention. You see, it's clear from God's earlier revelation through Joshua what land was supposed to belong to them. Yet, they were unable to keep it because it got too hard for them to hold on to it. So now, in their faithless ambitions, it led them elsewhere. Rather than assembling these 600 men to fight for the land of their own tribal allotment, they fought for the city of Laish in the land of the tribe of Ephraim. For some reason, to them and often to us, a distant battle seems easier than a close battle. Now before I move on with the reading, I want to share with you a few lessons these first 13 verses tell us about what we ought to be cautious about. Lesson one, beware of giving up the fight. Joshua 19 and Judges 1 tell us that the Danites had a difficult time taking full possession of the land that was promised to them. Instead of facing the challenges and fighting to keep what was rightfully theirs, they gave up and allowed someone else to take the land God had given them. In our case, Aside from the gifts God has blessed us with, He's also given us an eternal inheritance we must fight to keep regardless of the difficulties and challenges. Regarding the blessings and gifts, as says in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Some examples of these would be your spiritual gifts, your calling, your health, and yes, even your spouse. Now regarding your internal inheritance, Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 says, In him you also were sealed with a promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is a down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession. So when trials, tribulations, and temptations are threatening to rob you from these gifts and promises, you must fight the enemy and never give up. If you don't, and if you just throw in the towel like the Danites did, you may end up losing everything. You may end up with nothing at all. Lesson two, beware of a covetous heart. When the five spies saw Micah's idolatrous shrine, Rather than rebuking him, they wanted it. They thought they were more deserving to have it, and they envied him. You see, in all reality, they were breaking God's command that said, Do not covet your neighbor. It's easy for a Christian to fall into the sin of covetousness when they start to become unsatisfied with what God has given them. Now here are some common examples of what this may look like. You may see someone who's living in sin, yet they have money, they have power, they have fame and influence. 
and then thinking to yourself or just desiring that in your own heart and wanting it for yourself because you feel you're more deserving. You begin to tell yourself, you know what, I'm going to church, I'm obeying God, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And why are they getting that and not me? Why are they, why are they more deserving? I should be having those things. I should be having that money. I should be having that power and that fame. It's those kind of thoughts, those kind of feelings. Another example, another common example, is seeing a married couple. Maybe, you know, regardless of whether they're Christian or not. And you see that they've got some kind of special connection and they're, they appear to look happy. And they may not be going to church and they may be going on vacations and doing all, telling you all kinds of stories. And it looks like they're happy. Yet, you're feeling envious of them because you've become unsatisfied with your marriage. In James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, it says, You desire and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. See, maybe God doesn't want you to have money, fame, and power because He knows it will ruin you. He knows it will destroy you. And maybe God is trying to address the issues in your own heart that is causing you to feel unsatisfied in your marriage. As Christians, it's important that we learn to be content with what God has given us and where He has us. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. I know both how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. So what was the secret of his contentment? What, why, what was that actual secret? Well, his secret was none other than Jesus Christ. Lesson three. Beware of isolating yourself. The reason that Danites targeted the city of Laish was because they isolated themselves from everyone and formed no alliances. They thought they were safe and secure because they were far away from their enemies and believed they were strong enough to defend themselves. And this happens with a lot of Christians as well. A lot of Christians misinterpret Bible verses like 2 Corinthians 6.17 and completely isolate themselves from the outside world. Yet, these believers ignore that Jesus also said, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And another thing, another thing seems to happen when believers isolate themselves. And what is that? Is that they begin to feel safe and secure, so safe and secure that they feel that they fail to see that their biggest enemy can be themselves. In other words, it becomes easier to hide sin when you isolate yourself. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote, 
the more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. In the darkness of the unexpressed, it poisons the whole being of a person. Therefore, it's important that you not only involve yourself in a church, but also allow fellow believers to know what you're struggling with so they can encourage you and so they can pray for you. We're told in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, and let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Well, back in our passage, we see in verse 11 that the Danite leaders muster up an army of 600 men and deploy them north to take the town of Laish. And this is where we left off. So now let's continue reading. Verse 14. The five men who had gone to scout out the land of Laish told their brothers, Did you know that there was an ephod, household gods, and a carved image and a silver idol in these houses? Now think about what you should do. So they detoured there and went to the house of the young Levite at the home of Micah and greeted him. The 600 Danite men were standing by the entrance of the city gate, armed with weapons of war. Then the five men who had gone to scout out the land went in and took the carved image, the ephod, the household idols, and the silver idol, while the priest was standing by the entrance of the city gate with the 600 men with weapons of war. When they entered Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod, the household idols, and the silver idol, the priest said to them, What are you doing? They told him, Be quiet. Keep your mouth shut. Come with us and be a father and a priest to us. Is, is it better for you to be a priest for the house of one person or for you to be a priest for a tribe and family in Israel? So the priest was pleased and took his ephod, household idols, and carved image and went with the people. They prepared to leave, putting their dependents, livestock, and possessions in front of them. The journey of the Danite force once again takes them into the hill country of Ephraim, past the house of Micah. As they're passing his house, the five spies remember and alert their, cam their comrades to everything they saw in Micah's house. The shrine, the ephod, the household gods, the carved image, and the silver idol. It's soon clear that they intend to entice the tribe to steal the contents of it to ransack it to rob Micah so they do they take a detour instead of focusing and staying on course with what they were supposed to be doing they turn around and head straight to Micah's house so while the 600 men stand outside the city gate with weapons in hand the five spies enter Micah's house without his knowledge they greet the young priest and begin to ransack the shrine now, as they do, the Levite expresses some initial concern over their brazen act, but then is happily silenced 
by their lucrative offer. They tell him he'd be better off serving as a priest of an entire tribe and clan rather than an insignificant household. So with an offer he couldn't refuse, the priest readily accepts it and willfully abandons Micah. So now the Danites leave with their newly acquired priest and shrine and carefully put their children, livestock, and possessions in front of them. Now that they've stolen from Micah, they can now continue with their mission to Laish and steal their land from them. When it comes to loyalty, someone once said, there's something wrong with your character if opportunity controls your loyalty. Unfortunately, many ministries, friendships, and marriages have been destroyed because someone they trusted thought, oh, the grass looks greener on the other side. So if you want to avoid the heartbreaking feelings that come with disloyalty, that come with betrayal, here's some characteristics to look for in someone that's loyal. Characteristic one, a loyal person has a loyalty to God above all else. Had Micah recognized the fickleness of this young Levite, he probably wouldn't have entrusted his entire house and shrine to him. Unfortunately, his own selfish needs blinded him from seeing the selfishness of others. A person who has a loyalty to God above all else is more likely to know the true meaning and importance of trust and faithfulness. Those loyal to God have a clear understanding of passages like Colossians 3.23 that say, Whatever you do, do it from the heart. As something done for the Lord and not for people. Because you see, even if you or I were to disappoint someone who has first and foremost a loyalty to God, they may be hurt by what we do or what we say, but their foundation in Jesus Christ will not be shaken and their loyalty to God, to God will remain. Second characteristic, a loyal person will not use others as a rung in their ladder of success. Listen once again to what the, to what the young pre- priest said the first time he met the spies. This is what Micah has done for me. He has hired me and I became his priest. What he was doing was essentially handing them his resume and on the down low asking for a better offer. Regardless of the personal and financial opportunities being offered, someone who is loyal will have the interest in others in mind before their own. Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourself. Everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Now let me just say this. It's, it's, it is important to keep in mind that if you desire the loyalty of others, you yourself must be willing to offer it. It's not a one-way street. It's a two-way highway. 
It's reciprocal. If God has opened the doors, here, well, here's an example. If God has opened the doors to an opportunity to you, and you and I have been praying about it, it would be wrong of me to ask you not to accept it because it doesn't benefit me. It would be completely wrong and hypocritical. Here's the third and final characteristic. Of course, there's many, but with the time we have, I'm only able to give you three. Characteristic three, a lower person will stand by your side and fight alongside you. This young Levite priest showed how he really felt about Micah when he didn't lift a finger to stop the thieves and instead accepted the proposal they were offering him. See, he didn't care because he only cared about himself. It's very easy to tell someone, yeah, bro, I got your back no matter what. But it's not until the enemy is up against you that you'll know, that you really, really know who actually has your back, your front, and your side, and your side. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, it says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person alone keep warm? And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Someone who is loyal will be there through thick and thin to make sure you don't forget what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. And a loyal friend will fight tooth and nail alongside you when you are facing spiritual forces that seek to destroy you. Well, it doesn't take long for Micah to discover that he's been robbed and he intends to do something about it. As we normally do, just read along as I finish the rest of the story. Judges chapter 18, verse 22. As there were some distance from Micah's house, the men who were, who were in the houses near it were mustered and caught up with the were mustered and caught up with the Danites. They called out to the Danites who turned to face them and said and said to Micah, What's the matter with you that you mustered the the men? He said, You took the gods I had made and the priest and went away. What do I have left? How can you say to me, What's the matter with you? The Danites said to him, Don't raise your voice against us, or angry men will attack you and your family will lose your lives. The Danites went their way and Micah turned to go back home because he saw that they were stronger than he was. After they had taken the gods of Micah and made the priest that belonged to and and the priest that belonged to him, they went to Laish to a quiet and unsuspecting people. They killed them with the swords and burned the city. There was no one to rescue them because it was far from Sidon, and they had no alliance with anyone. It was in a valley that belonged to Beth Rehob. They rebuilt the city and lived in it. They named the city Dan after the name of their ancestor Dan, who was born to Israel. The city was formerly named Laish. 
The Danites set up the set up the carved image for themselves. Jonathan, son of Gershom, son of Moses, and his sons were priests for the Danite tribe until the time of the exile from the land. So they set up for themselves Micah's carved image that he had made, and it was there as long as the house of God was in Shiloh. My home, my house has never been robbed. We've been blessed in that way is that it, no one's come in and taken anything, um, broken in and ransacked our house and taken anything from it. But I've heard stories from those who have. The most common description I've heard is that it feels as if someone has come into your body. Someone has come and stolen a piece of your rib, your heart, your kidneys, They've taken a piece of your insides and just ripped it out. Another description I've heard is that it's worse than having your wallet or purse taken from you at gunpoint. Because at least you can see the person stealing it from you. Well, this is how Micah must have felt. And this is actually how he actually felt. He felt violated and wanted to do something about it. So as soon as he discovers what had happened and who had done it, he gathers a group together from the surrounding clans to confront the Danite thieves. The dramatic narrative in verses 23 and 25 voices the emotional interchange between the Danites and Micah. We see there that the Danites failed to acknowledge the fact that their shameless theft had caused this entire conflict. And then they proceed to threaten the lives of Micah and his family. In the end, Micah is forced to acknowledge his powerlessness to change this greater tribal force, this greater army. He realizes what's at stake, what's at stake and makes the wise decision to return home completely defeated and empty-handed. The story concludes with a description of the easy victory over Laish, which resulted in the death of its inhabitants, destruction of its buildings, and the renaming of the city from Laish to Dan. Now, as a side note, recent archaeology at Dan has confirmed a burn layer dating 1200 to 1150 BC, fitting this biblical pattern nicely. Also, the closing note explains that Micah's idols and young Levite formed the foundation of a shrine at Dan that rivaled the tabernacle located at Shiloh. This act clearly violates Moses' command in Deuteronomy chapter 12 that Israel worship in one central place, that is, wherever the Ark of the Covenant was located. Now, although it may look like it, in all reality, there weren't any winners in this entire story. All the major players in chapter 17 and 18 lost something. Because of his faithful, faithless ambitions, Micah lost his most valuable possessions. Because of his faithless ambitions, the young Levite priest lost his self-respect. 
Because of their faithless ambitions, an entire tribe lost their identity when they abandoned their inheritance and replaced the Lord with idols. Because of their faithless ambitions, the town of Laish lost everything because they were too prideful to see how vulnerable they actually were. Everyone lost because they abandoned God and lived to please themselves. I hope you can clearly see in our story how dangerous faithless ambitions are when God's people start doing their own thing, what they want to do, instead of what God's will is, what God's plan is for their lives. Therefore, as Christians, we must make every effort to keep ourselves from being corrupted by the desires of this world. And instead, we ought to look to the author and the perfecter of our faith to give us the strength to be God's ambassadors on this earth while we're in it. Without God, it'll be a matter of time until a person's faithless ambitions overtake them and eventually all will be lost. If not in this life, then in the next. Jesus said in Mark 8.36, For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world yet lose his own life, yet lose his life? In other words, all the success in this world is meaningless if it means your soul will be lost for all eternity. The Apostle Paul was someone who had everything going for him and was about to reach the top of his own ladder of success. But after Jesus radically transformed his life, he gained a new perspective. In his letter to the Philippian church, he wrote, But everything that was a gain to me I, can, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of Him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death. The only way He was able to come to this understanding was because the Holy Spirit revealed this to Him, because the Holy Spirit opened his mind to the truth of the gospel. If he's opening your mind to this truth today, don't walk away from it. Believe it. Accept it. And embrace it. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3 that in Jesus there are incalculable riches for those who believe in him. So whatever you have now, or whatever you may have lost, or possibly may lose, is nothing compared to what you will gain if you place your faith and trust in Him. 
And if that's you this morning and you've never placed your faith in him, I invite you to do that today. Surrender your life to him. Open your heart to Jesus Christ. Confess your sins to him and he will free you from the bondage that's kept you down, that's imprisoned you. He died for you. He died to set you free. And all you've got to do is just believe and trust in him. If you've never given your life over to Jesus Christ, I invite you this morning or today to pray the simple prayer from the bottom of your heart. Lord Jesus, I come before you and confess that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross and that God raised you from the dead. I now ask that you forgive me of my sins and be my Lord and Savior. In the name of Christ Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you prayed that, welcome to the family of God. And I suggest reaching out to that Christian, that faithful Christian that you may know of and, and let, let them know. And if for some reason you don't know any, contact us. Contact us at Fresh Vision Church. And we'll, I'll begin to tell you ways, steps you can begin to, to, to steps you can take to continue in your walk with the Lord. Again, the Lord wants to radically transform your life. And if you pray that, He definitely will. Trust me.